And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the old west and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is February 23rd, the 54th day of the year. 311 days remain to the years over with. And someone made a comment that I wasn't uh, talking about all the important uh, holidays associated with the various dates. <clears throat> so today's International Dog Biscuit Appreciation Day. I'm sure everybody's on the edge of their seats about that. National Chili Day, National Banana Bread Day, National Toast Day, National Play Tennis Day, Curling is Cool Day, Digital Learning Day, Real Bread Week, National Engineers Week, National Invasive Species Awareness Week, and February. Well, February is National Fasting February. It's National Black History Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Your Family Fun Month, uh, National Bird Feeding Month, and it is National Library Lovers Month. So, if one of those floats your boat, I urge you to uh, adhere to it. Now, there's a lot of other things that happen on this particular date in history. In 303, Roman Emperor Diocletian ordered the destruction of the Christian church in Nicomedia, beginning eight years of Diocletianic persecution. we got some of that going on right now. 532, Byzantine Emperor Justinian I lays the foundation stone for the new Orthodox Christian Basilica in Constantinople. You know it is the, the Hagia Sophia. 628, Khosrow II, the last Sasanian Shah of Iran, is overthrown. 705, Empress Wu Zetian abdicates the throne, restoring the Tang Dynasty. Uh, this was also, in the year 1455, traditionally the date of publication of the Gutenberg Bible, the first Western book printed with movable type. And as a writer myself, of course, I'm always interested in that. Uh, 1778, American Revolutionary War, Baron von Steuben arrives at Valley Forest, Pennsylvania to help train the Continental Army. 1820, the Cato Street Conspiracy. A plot to murder all British cabinet ministers is exposed and the conspirators arrested. 1836, Texas Revolution. The Siege of the Alamo, which was the prelude to the Battle of the Alamo, begins in San Antonio, Texas. 1847, Mexican-American War, Bella Buena Vista. Mexico-American troops under... Future President General Zachary Taylor defeat Mexican General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. And since Santa Ana was president for life, that was did not go over very well. 1854, the official independence of the Orange Free State is declared on this date. 
1861, President-elect Abraham Lincoln arrives in Washington, D.C. after thwarting an alleged assassination uh, plot in Baltimore, Maryland. He arrived in secret. 1870, Reconstruction era, post-U.S. Civil War military control of Mississippi ends and it's readmitted to the Union. 1863, Alabama becomes the first U.S. state to enact an antitrust law. Then in 1885, during the Sino-French War, the French Army gains an important victory in the Battle of Dong Dang in the Tonkin region of Vietnam. 1886, Charles Martin Hall produced the first samples of aluminum from near electrolysis of aluminum oxide after several years of intensive work. He was assisted by his older sister, Julia Brainerd Hall. 1887, French Riviera is hit by large earthquake. Um, killed about 2,000 people. 1898, Emile Zola is imprisoned in France after writing J'accuse. That was a letter accusing the French government of anti-Semitism and wrongfully imprisoning Captain Alfred Dreyfus, which was in fact true. 1900, the Second Boer War. During the Battle of the Tugela Heights, the first British, British attempt to take Hearts Hill fails. 1903, Cuba leased Guantanamo Bay to the U.S. in perpetuity. Um, 1905, Chicago attorney Paul Harris and three other businessmen meet for lunch to form the Rotary Club, the world's first service club. The, uh, 1917, the first demonstrations in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's the beginning of the February Revolution. Um, which saw the downfall of uh, the Tsar. 1927, President Coolidge signs a bill by Congress establishing the Federal Radio Commission, later replaced by the Federal Communications Commission, uh, which was to regulate the use of radio frequencies in the U.S. Also on that same date, German theoretical physicist Werner Heisenberg writes a letter to fellow physicist Wolfgang Pauli, which he described the uncertainty principle for the first time. 1934 saw Leopold III become president, of, uh, become king of Belgium. 1941 plutonium is first produced and isolated by Dr. Glenn Seaborg. Now, and it's something interesting. I'm going I've done a book and I'm going to do a bigger book on uh, the Battle of Los Angeles which happened during World War II. Um, in keeping with that on this date in um, 1942 Japanese submarines fire artillery shells at the uh, coastline near Santa Barbara, California. 1943 Cave and orphanage fire kills 35 girls and a cook. 1943, Greek resistance, the United Palhellenic Organization of Youth, is founded in Greece. 1944, Soviet Union begins the forced deportation of the Chechen and English people from 
North Caucasus to uh, Central Asia. 1945 saw the uh, Battle of Iwo Jima where a group of U.S. Marines reached the top of Mount Suribachi on the island and a photograph raising the American flag. The photograph that everyone has seen was actually a recreation. 1945 also saw the 11th Airborne Division of Filipino guerrillas free 2,147 captives of the Los Banos internment camp in what uh, General Colin Powell would later refer to as the textbook airborne operation of all ages and all armies. On this date, we also saw the capital of the Philippines uh, liberated by a combined Filipino-American force. On this same date, we also saw the capitulation of the German garrison in Poznan, cities liberated by Soviet and Polish forces. The um, Also, the German town of Flushheim is annihilated in a raid by 379 British bombers. 1954 saw the first mass inoculation of children against polio with the salt vaccine began in Pittsburgh. 1958, five-time Argentine former E1 chaplain Juan Manuel Fangio is kidnapped by rebels involved in the Cuban Revolution on the eve of the Cuban Grand Prix. He was released the, uh, the day after the race. 1966 in Syria, the Ba'ath Party member Salah Jadid leaves an inter-party military coup that replaces the previous government of General Amin al-Hafez, also a Ba'athist. 1971, Operation Lam San 719, South Vietnamese General Du Cao Tri is killed in a helicopter crash en route to taking control of the faltering campaign. 1974, the Simeonese Liberation Army demands $4 million more to release kidnapped victim Patty Hearst. The jury's still out on whether or not she was part of the SLA or just an innocent victim. 1980, Iran hostage crisis. Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini states that Iran's parliament will decide the fate of the American embassy hostages. Now, what we should have done is gone in and rescued them, but we had, oh, don't upset me making a decision, Carter, in charge at that point in time. 1981 in Spain, Antonio Trajero attempts a coup d'etat by capturing the Spanish Congress of Deputies. 1983, the EPA announces its intent to buy and evacuate the dioxin-contaminated community of Times Beach, Missouri. 1988, Saddam Hussein begins the unfold genocide against the Kurds and the Assyrians in northern Iraq. 1991, Thailand, General Sun Thorn Pong leads a bloodless coup d'etat, deposing Prime Minister uh, Chai uh, Chun Haven. 1999, uh, Kurdish rebel leader Abdullah Ocalan is charged with treason in Ankara, Turkey. 
2007, a train derails on an evening express service near Greyrig, Cumbria in England. Kills one and injures 88. Uh, this results in hundreds of points being checked over the UK for after a few similar accidents. 2008, a U.S. Air Force B-2 Spirit bomber crashes on Guam, making the first operational loss of a B-2. 2010, unknown criminals pour more than 2.5 million liters of diesel oil and other hydrocarbons into River Lambo in the north of Italy, sparking an environmental disaster. And let's see... 2012, a series of attacks across Iraq leave more than 83 killed, more than 250 injured. 2019, Atlas Air Flight uh, 3591, a Boeing 767 freighter crashes into Trinity Bay near Anahawk, Texas. Kills all three people on board. 2020, Ahmad Arveria, a 25-year-old African-American citizen, was shot and murdered by three white men after visiting a house under construction while jogging in a neighborhood in Santilla Sores near Brunswick in Glen County, Georgia. There's folks in Georgia that will shoot you for spitting on the sidewalk, let me tell you. 2021, four simultaneous prison riots leave at least 62 people dead in Ecuador. Um, there's always... Interesting uh, occurrences in history. You know, the um, I'm going to do a little segment of a that's going to become another one of my books. How many people know? Superman was actually murdered. The man that, um, he was actually the second person to play Superman. He was the one that did the majority of the TV series. His name was George Reeves. And he was, uh, he died June 16th, 1959 in Benedict Canyon in Los Angeles. He was, um, His death has never been completely explained. Now, he was the first to make the superhero an icon when he played the, the role of Superman in the inaugural TV series. He was found dead in his bedroom. Now, it's a, always been a mystery that we may never truly have the answer to. The story told by those around his house that night is full of holes. The evidence is perplexing and poorly, and it was poorly handled. Um, the characters involved in the investigation range from colorful to drunk to suspicious. Of course, by now, the majority of them have taken any secrets they may know to their graves. Um... The actual incident took place in the early morning hours of June 16, 1959. Uh, was found dead in his bedroom. He was naked, had a bullet in his head. And while this was going on in his bedroom, now my house is solidly built. 
But if somebody fired a gun in one of the rooms, everybody in the house would know about it. In the house was his fiancée and three guests. They were downstairs carousing and drinking and having a good time. And his soon-to-be wife uh, is said to have told the other guests that he's going upstairs to shoot himself. They heard a gunshot and waited 45 minutes before they even bothered to call the police. Now, almost before... All the investigators got out of their cars. It was ruled a suicide. But several of those very close to Reeves believe there's no way he would have killed himself. Now, the super, the, the suspicions that they had weren't entirely fueled by grief or denial. The evidence was inconclusive. Just like an optical illusion, from one angle, the details clearly show a man who, in a moment of distress, made a tragic decision. But from another direction, it's clearly a murder. Now, he was 38 when he first uh, became Clark Kent in The Adventures of Superman and put on that red, white, and blue cape costume. Over a six-year period, 104 episodes, he appeared in pictures, played Superman to the hilt, and made appearances to promote the TV show. Even had a guest spot on in costume on I Love Lucy. In fact, during that episode, he he came up with a line that is still remembered today. Uh, he was talking to Ricky Ricardo about being married to Lucy, and he said, you mean to say you've been married to her for 15 years? And they call me Superman. Well, his work on the show would earn him unbelievable fame. He was known as the original Superman, even though he wasn't uh, technically the first one to play the Man of Steel. Bud Collier voiced the Man of Steel on the radio from 1940 to 1951. And Kirk Allen played the role in two 15-part movie serials that ended in 1950. But it was Reeves with what were called his luggage rugged good looks and broad grin that uh, brought the Man of Steel to, to widespread popularity. Now, in spite of the success, all wasn't well behind the scenes in, Metropo in Metropolis. Uh, now, getting tapped to pay a famous superhero may be considered the pinnacle of an acting career today, but uh, he agreed to play the Superman frankly, out of desperation. Now, he was born in Iowa. And he got the first big break when he was hired to play one of Scarlett O'Hara's suitors in 1939's Gone with the Wind. And after that, he had a string of B-list movies and uh, worked his way up to leading man status when the bombs dropped on Pearl Harbor. And just a year after the war started, 
he was drafted. Yeah, like so many men of his generation, his plans uh, were derailed by the war. Came back unscathed, but he struggled from that point on to make his to get his career back on track. Hollywood was recovering from the war, but it was recovering slowly. And Reeves wasn't the only actor trying to make up for lost time with renewed dedication to the the dreams are still very much alive in his mind, but suddenly even further out of reach. He just wasn't getting the, the good parts. And it was during this period when he was struggling so hard to get a start that he was approached about playing the role that would actually come to define his life. Now, he knew the show about Superman would potentially be popular, but it was almost because of that that he really wasn't excited about taking it on. First, TV had just become ubiquitous in households across the country, but uh, TV as a medium was still seen as the lowbrow younger sibling of the big screen. And more importantly, The Adventure of Superman was marketed mostly to a younger audience. Rather than be seen as the hunky superhero who had proved himself as a leading man, Reeves was worried to the role would forever make him, the kids, beloved Superman in the eyes of the world and casting directors, and his his fears were actually valid. Later on, he would say producers wouldn't give him a job. They'd look, they'd look at him and say it was just impossible. Nobody would believe he could be anything but Superman. Well, he discussed these Difficulties in a 1958 uh, article that was entitled No Work for Superman. When the reporter asked him why he took the role in the beginning, he said, I was hungry. But after six years, he was having a hard time pushing his career forward. The issue wasn't just career fr frustration. While Reeves may have been famous for being Superman, the role wasn't making him a whole lot of money. Actors, especially on TV, were poorly paid, and even after Reeves got a raise after trying and failing to leave the show after three seasons, he found himself struggling for money. Unable to get the roles he wanted and tax for time, given the all-consuming nature of his Superman commitments. The, um, after his death, it was uh, said that it was a profound depression and frustration with his career that led him to shoot himself. But his business manager and mother, among others, said that while it was true, he was disappointed in the way things were going. His feelings weren't strong enough to explain a suicide. His mother was adamant he would not do a thing like that. Now, it's really impossible to know what's going on in somebody's head, especially after a night of heavy drinking. But it did seem that Reeves was taking steps to fix his situation. Following the past so many women have taken throughout Hollywood history, Reeves turned to directing, producing, and writing when he couldn't get the roles he wanted. And he was taking great strides toward creating a fulfilling career for himself. He directed the first 13 episodes of the series and told the Evening Star that he was enthusiastic about uh, doing more. But it wasn't just his career that was going through a dramatic turn. His personal life um, had some issues. After breaking up with his wife, he had engaged in a three-year affair with actress uh, Tony Mannix, who was married to uh, 
Eddie Mannix, who was referred to as the fixer for MGM. And Mannix wasn't just a heavy in Hollywood. He was also rumored to have mob connections. In a turn of events, the alleged problem with this situation wasn't the affair itself. I mean, Mannix had his own liaisons outside the marriage and allegedly had no problem with his wife's relationship with Reeves. The issue was that Reeves eventually broke Tony's heart when he called it off to begin a relationship with the woman who would become his fiancée, Lenore and Lemon. Eddie was outraged that his wife wasn't happy, or his ex-wife. Now, as far as Reeves was concerned, you have to wonder if he had any regrets. While he and Lemon were supposed to get married only a few days after he his death, Lemon allegedly had soured on him after she realized the older Superman wasn't quite the loaded Hollywood player she thought he was. And their relationship was full of booze and bickering. After his death, it was revealed that he left everything to Tony Mannix, which would have been an oversight given he and Lemon had only been together uh, six months. Well, he could have been telling her to stuff it. And that was the scene that was set on June 15, 1959. In typical fashion, Reeves and Lemon went out for a boozy night on the town, got home about 11 in the evening. A couple hours later, Carol Van Ronkel and William Bliss stopped by for a drink. Uh, Lemon and writer Robert Condon, who was staying at the house, were more than happy to entertain the group, but Reeves was already in bed, and he wasn't too thrilled about the ruckus going on downstairs. According to the statements given to the police, Reeves came downstairs to ask him to be quiet, and they convinced him to stay for a drink, and then he went back upstairs. And then that Lemon's actions became truly strange. She's supposed to have said he's gone upstairs to shoot himself. And there was a noise, and she said, see, he's opened the door to get the gun. And then there was a shot. And she's supposed to have looked at the group, pointed at the staircase, and said, I told you, he shot himself. Well, after 45 minutes, the police were called. May have seemed like an open and shut case. Man found upstairs, gun on the floor, single bullet wound in his head. And witnesses in the house behaved a little oddly. Uh, actually heard the whole thing. But there's... A few details that just don't make sense. First, Reeves was found naked. And there was no doubt he enjoyed a few libations that evening, but even drunk, it stretches the imagination that somebody had stripped before committing suicide. Police also found two gunshot holes in the carpet, as well as one in the ceiling that they traced to the wound in Reeves' head. But the witnesses all swore they only heard one shot. And then there were the bruises and other marks on Reeves' body. And there was a lot of political shenanigans after the fact. Reeves' mother hired a high-powered attorney to get the case reopened. But for reasons he never would say, he later dropped the case very quickly. Now, all the conspiracy theories surrounding his death would be discussed on the big screen and the 2006 feature, Hollywoodland. 
But at the end of the day, they boil down to three scenarios. One, he did commit suicide. Two, Eddie Mannix murdered the actor in revenge for upsetting his wife. And finally, there is the theory that Lemon was drunk and unhappy that night and shot her soon-to-be husband. The 45-minute delay in calling the police, according to this theory, was how long it took her and her house guests to cover up the murder. Now, despite the questions that remain even to this day, there was never a real investigation mounted as to what happened. Superman was dead. There were no heroes coming in to save the day. And while it may have been the final act for George Reeves' Superman, it was the first act in what might have become one of the biggest mysteries surrounding the role. Reeves' death was the first in what would become a string of tragedies surrounding the role, what would become known as the Superman curse. You know, the, at the end of the day, in actuality, um, an investigation, uh, a serious investigation, might um, might turn up some interesting uh, results. The, I mean, he was only forty-five. He was in good health. And though the Interesting thing. There were those that believed that he was dead as a result of the, an accidental shooting. Now, George Reeves was actually born George Kiefer Brewer in 1914. And he got some time in at Pasadena Junior College. Son of Donald Brewer and Helen Rusher. Born five months into their marriage, and shortly after his birth, the couple separated. Now, the interesting thing, the most interesting thing, was that one report I read said the gun was actually under his body. Now, as I said, he got the, the role in June of 1951. There were half-hour films shot on tight schedules, and two shows were made every six days. Now, like many actors, he didn't think TV was important and he didn't believe many people would see his work and according to commentaries written about the adventures of Superman multiple scripts were filmed simultaneously to take advantage of the standing sets for example all the Perry White's office scenes for three or four episodes would be shot on the same day and various apartment scenes would be 
done consecutively. Now, his career as Superman actually began with Superman and the Mole Man, a film intended both as a B-picture and the pilot for the TV series. And immediately after completing the movie, Reeves and the crew began production of the first season's episodes, all shot over 13 weeks in the summer of 1951. And the series went on the air the next year, and Reeves was as shocked as anybody. The, se the series became a national hit, and he became a national celebrity. 1952, ABC Network bought the show for national broadcast. Now, the Superman cast members had restrictive contracts preventing them from taking other work that might interfere with the series. Except for the second season, the Superman schedule was very brief. Thirteen shows shot two per week. A total of seven weeks out of a year. But all had a 30-day clause, which meant the producers could demand that the exclusive services for a new season on, by giving them four weeks' notice. This prevented long-term work on major films with long schedules or stage plays that might lead to lengthy run or any other series work. Now, Reeves was unique in that he earned additional income from making personal appearances. And he thought the world of his young fans and took his role model status very seriously. He avoided smoking cigarettes where children could see him and eventually quit smoking altogether. Kept his private life discreet including a romantic relationship with Tony Mannix. Uh, Eddie Mannix, as I said, was the, a major fixer and general manager at MGM. Now, Jack Larson, who played um, the Cub reporter, Jimmy Olsen, said when he first met Reeves, he told him he enjoyed his performance and so proudly he held. And Reeves said if Mark Sandrich hadn't died, he wouldn't be there in this monkey suit. According to Larson, Reeves also said he'd feel better about the role if he knew he had any adult fans, but never learned that the Adventures of Superman had adult fans even during its original broadcast run. Now, after two seasons, Reeves was dissatisfied with his salary and the show's one-dimensional role. He was 40. He wanted to quit and move on with his career. Producers started looking for a new star. And Reeves, like many actors of the time, established his own production company, conceived a TV adventure series called Port of Entry, which would be shot on location in Hawaii and Mexico. He wrote the pilot script himself. In response to this, the Superman producers offered him a salary increase, and he went back to the series. He was reported making 5000 week. Only while the show was in production, though, which is about eight uh, weeks a year. So, uh, he was doing about um, 40000 um, a year. Now, 5000 a week would be about 50000 in today's dollars. And as for his series that he created, Port of Entry, he was never able to gain financing for the project, so it was never made. 1957, the producers considered a theatrical film called Superman and the Secret Planet. The script was commissioned, but in 59, negotiations began for renewal of the series with 26 episodes scheduled to go into production. 
the mid-1959, contracts were signed, costumes refitted, and a new teleplay writers assigned. Noel Neal was quoted as saying that the cast of Superman is ready to do a new series of the still popular series. So he had a lot of things going and a lot of things to look forward to. At the end of the day, there's just as much evidence it was murder as it was it was suicide. And, uh, you know, many people uh, have outstanding business careers and their personal life is crap. Others have a great personal life and their business world is crap. You take the good with the bad. Well, the interesting thing does anybody really know what happened? Now, of course, there are many, many stories about the house where he died which he didn't even own. I think it was owned by Tony Maddox. And he was on the verge of dropping women, even though he was supposed to marry her. Um, and there were a lot of folks that thought he was going to marry Tony Maddox. Well, some things, some questions just can't be answered. I think this is one of them. Well, let's talk about what we were talking about yesterday. We were talking about uh, Cyrus Tweet. I'll do it one more time. Teed. T-E-E-D. How Joseph Smith had been approached by a celestial messenger named Maroney and told to go dig up some golden plates and then he translated the plates and wrote what became the Book of Mormon. Now Joseph Smith was eventually murdered by a mob for questioning their attendance of their religion and uh, Brigham Young became the head of the Mormons. Now there have been a lot of people in history who claimed to have been approached by celestial messengers and given all kinds of information. And many of them wound up dabbling in black magic and alchemy. And all of them, without fail, made mention of being contacted by um, parahuman entities. Helene Smith... Uh, was shown other worlds and led to believe she was visiting other planets. Reinhold Smith, a contactee, claimed to have been transported to the center of the pyramid. Albert K. Bender was taken to underground bases in Antarctica. Now, it's not likely that any of the places that they visited 
really exist in reality. It's more likely these people uh, made hallucinogenic excursions or mind trips guided by some force that is capable of manipulating the electrical circuits of the brain. Now, keep in mind, when you talk about manipulation of people's perceptions, um, this actually ties into George Reeves' murder or suicide or whatever it was. Remember, in his role as Superman, he had been shot many times with absolutely no effect whatsoever. In fact, the bullets bounced off. Well, no. The wound that led to his death didn't bounce off. Was he somehow manipulated to believe that he really was Superman? I read two or three uh, articles by people who said that they knew him and they'd often find him standing in front of the mirror in his Superman costume talking about flying downtown. And there's a number of ghost stories about that house where... Uh, kids have broken in to have parties and been chased out by Superman. So there's there's many, many questions about that house and George Reeves that never will be answered. Now the other alternative explanation to all these contactees um, talking about their trips is they were liars. Hoaxers. Lunatics. Of course, none of the scientists and psychiatrists and theologians who have investigated the, the claims have been able to come up with such simple explanations. Let's look at a man by the name of Aleister Crowley, born in 1875, known as the wickedest man in the world through his work in black magic. He also claimed to receive visits from an angel. And he was the center of a large cult around the turn of the century. Noted for sexually liberating his female followers. And he published a number of books expounding on his personal cosmology. A lot of the, the young subcultures are resurrecting his work. 1939, a rocket fuel scientist named John Whiteside Parsons joined Crowley's cult and Burrowed into the dark world of magic and the occult. His letters and papers described the manifestations that occurred while he was practicing ancient uh, secret mystical rites. These included sudden power failures, the appearance of eerie glowing lights, and temporary paralysis, all of which are commonly reported in conventional UFO sightings. Parsons also was the recipient of a number of prophecies. One of them stated the ba uh, Babylon, the horror of Babylon, is incarnate upon the earth today, awaiting the proper hour of her manifestation. And in that day, my work will be accomplished, and I'll be blown away upon the breath of the Father. Well, a rocket fuel explosion at a laboratory in Pasadena in 1952 did blow away, Parsons. Years later, NASA chose to grant him a kind of immortality by naming a crater on the moon after him. That's an interesting honor to give to uh, somebody who comes across as a nut job. 
You know, the influence of the occult's always been very strong in ufology. A good many people attracted to the flying saucer mystery in the 50s and 60s eventually moved on to spiritualism and mystical cults. Better educated UFO enthusiasts merely recognize the similarity between UFO manifestations and psychic phenomena and drop flying saucers for the more intriguing field of parapsychology. Only a slender residue of stubborn cranks struggled year after year with their bitter campaign to convince the world flying saucers are real. We're from a wondrous planet beyond the Earth and were the subject of a massive government conspiracy of secrecy. In demonology, practitioners of witchcraft and black magic traditionally end up as victims of the very forces they hope to control. Strange tragedies befall them. They fall prey to the phenomenon of possession. That is, some outside force seems to possess them, destroy their willpower, and forces them to carry out antisocial acts ranging from arson to murder. Same kind of possession is apparent in many UFO contactee cases. Been a number of senseless murders in which the killer's only defense was that he had been ordered to commit the act by Martians, or the space people, or the secret masters. One man with powerful connections on the planet Venus was a Brazilian known as Dino Crespedon. Wrote a book called My Contact with Flying Saucers. First published in English in 1959. Classic contactee story and included an elaborate cosmology as outlined by the space people. Six years later, Craspadon came out from behind his pseudonym and to appear on Brazilian television under his real name, Aladino Felix. And he created a stir with his amazingly accurate predictions of forthcoming national disasters and political assassinations in the U.S., then he warned of an outbreak of terrorism in Brazil. And shortly after that, assorted bombings and robberies and murders actually did take place. When the Brazilian police finally tracked down and rounded up the terrorist gang, they discovered its leader was none other than Aladino Felix himself. The day he was arrested, he said, I was sent here as an ambassador to the Earth from Venus. My friends from space will come here and free me and avenge my arrest. You can look for tragic consequences to humanity when the flying saucers invade this planet. Well, the Brazilian government has always been cooperative UFO investigators, but after the Felix case, they cracked down on the subject and lowered a curtain of silence over new UFO events. And while others believe so completely in the entities that they quit their jobs, abandoned their families, changed their names, became UFO evangelists, Traveling, lecturing, and spreading the message that the flying saucers were coming from outer space to save us from ourselves. A salesman by the name of Reinhold Smith became convinced that a western mine contained quartz and would, could somehow cure cancer. So he managed to raise the money to buy the mine, but the UFO entity's information proved to be wrong. When no cancer cures were forthcoming, his investors hauled him into court. Just as the investors in Otis Carr's homemade flying saucer sued him when he failed to fly to the moon in December 1957. 
He had raised thousands of dollars to construct a saucer following telepathic instructions he got from alien entities. When it was completed, it didn't fly, but it did hum. Now, numerous variations of these games are still taking place today. Contactees around the world are busily writing ponderous books dictated by the entities, usually uh, viewed as new Bibles. Others are laboring to build strange devices in their basements, carefully following the instructions of their friendly visitors from space. 1966, a well-known physicist in California experienced a contact with a flying saucer. He sold his profitable scientific research firm so he could pursue UFO technological devices full-time. Soon he was undergoing possession and fleeing from discouraged investors. Actually, you name it, and some contactee out there is building it. Perpetual motion machines, television sets that'll be able to pick up football games from Saturn, and and our gravity devices assorted to death and healing rays. And somewhere out there in the deep space, in the mysterious planet of Corindor, somebody's laughing his ass off. Well. You know, Plato made an interesting statement in one of his writings. Now, one of them who took up in his youth with the opinion that there are no gods ever continued it until old age, faithful to his conviction. You know, years ago, my parents bought a motel in Florida. And just up the street was a uh, mom-and-pop store. I'd go up there and get sodas and what have you. And they had the most interesting collection of books. One of them was by a man by the name of Howard Minger. Now, he's a New Jersey sign painter experienced the most revealing flying saucer vision in August of 1956 when he came face to face with a godlike being. He wrote a book called From Outer Space to You. And in that book, he also made it clear that his story actually began years before his meeting with the godlike being. As a boy, he had encountered a beautiful female entity in the woods that was told that he would one day serve the illustrious space people. As a young man in the Army, he was contacted again, this time in Juarez, Mexico, by a man with long blonde hair and suntan skin, riding in a mystery taxi cab. But in the mid-50s, his real adventures began. Strange aerial objects haunted the area around his house near High Bridge in New Jersey. And this, these things were seen by many witnesses, including lawyers and physicists and reporters. Space people began to drop in on him for coffee and friendly chats about the state of the universe. They asked him to buy dark sunglasses with red lenses, and on several occasions they even pressed him into service as a barber, inviting him to cut off their long blonde tresses so they'd look even more human. As his reward, he was given a flight to the moon. 
He brought back some strange rocks that he claimed were moon potatoes. And finally, in August of 1956, he met the big boss spaceman himself. Saucer landed in the field near Menger's home, and two men got out of it. Then a magnificent sight appeared in the doorway, he said. A tall, handsome man with long blonde hair over his shoulders stood towering at the entrance. And as he approached me, he, was, he wasn't walking, he was floating or gliding. He was dressed in a radiant white ski-type uniform. Sleeves were full and loose, and the neckline was high, similar to that of a turtleneck sweater. He uh, wore a light blue fluorescent-like cape fastened at his shoulders with a gold pin in the shape of a wheel. This super being, if you will, gave Minger a message of love and truth and the grand tradition of the elementals. Then he returned to his flying saucer and flew off to the stars. Well, Minger courageously published his story, and it was probably printed in 1959. He was roundly cheered by one group of cultists for having solved the UFO mystery. He condemned by equally fanatical scientific ufologists who believed in the existence of extraterrestrial spaceships, but couldn't believe that anybody ever gotten off of one of them. His business collapsed as he got a reputation for being a prank pot, and his family fell apart. Well, if he'd have lived in another age, he might have been looked on as a great prophet and visionary, one of those privileged individuals who consorted with the gods. Sculptors would have been commissioned to carve mighty replicas of the super being he described. Poems and songs would have been written about his experience and handed down from one generation to the next. Unfortunately for Menger, he lived in 1956. He has laughed out of business. His book earned a few hundred dollars from sales to the hardcore cultists, and then it went on to the scrap heap of history. But it is a revealing record of the mechanism of belief in, which is at work in these cases. Such things could happen in 1956, they might have happened in 1056 or even 556. There are, in fact, extensive legends suggesting this sort of thing has been happening to man since the beginning of history. The long-haired, long-fingered extraterrestrials have been walking among us forever, telling similar stories. Now, before we begin to understand this tangled maze, we have to attempt to understand something of the origins and complexities of human history. We have to try to ascertain how it all began, how the ultra-terrestrials have influenced our course, and where is it all leading us? Our scientists can only guess at how the universe itself came into being. Two most popular theories at this point in time are the Big Bang Theory, which we talked about in an earlier show, and the the steady state theory that matter is constantly replenishing itself and that the cosmos really has no beginning or end. The beginning of the solar system and the birth of the planets are a little easier to deal with, though. Commonly accepted theory is that the planets are cooling masses of material ejected from the sun. Two independent scientists, Dr. C.J. Hyman and C. William Kinsman, have developed a new geocosmic theory based on the the new discoveries that we've talked about earlier, coupled with Velikovsky-like evidence and speculation, they suggest that the Earth once pursued uh, the orbit, now occupied by Venus, and that Mars was in the present Earth orbit. It would explain the legends of early man that claimed that the Earth days and years were much shorter than they are now, and that the 
human lifespan was once considerably longer. Ancient calendars carved in stone also indicate important differences in the, in the early earth year. The earth began as a lump of matter cast off by the sun. It may have first passed along the orbit of Mercury before spiring outward and settling into the orbit of Venus. This might have happened as early as five billion years ago. And the cooling planet Earth could have reached the life support stage hundreds of millions of years ago and could have been inhabited while it was in the Venus orbit. If Mars was then in the Earth orbit, it could have supported life. But as it was pushed further into space by the approach of Earth, the Martians either died out or were forced to make radical biological adjustments to their new environment. Many of them, of course, probably moved to Florida. Well, there have been many theories and speculations. We're going to talk about many of them. But for right now, we come to the end of today's show. So until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.